Let me give you a few statistics. In the past 100 years, Steve, 26 million documented cases of martyrdom for the Christian faith have occurred. That is actually more than the previous 1,900 years combined. Today, 165,000 Christians are murdered for their faith every year. And, And it relates to really every minute three Christians give their life for their faith. You know, it makes me wonder, if this came down to it, would I, you know, make that same choice that these people, these brave people in overseas are making right now? They're, you know, they're being literally asked, are you going to deny Jesus? And if they refuse, they're, they're being killed. Growing up in the Middle East, in, especially in Egypt, in your ID says religion, and you are identified by your religion. So it says Muslim or Christian because the treatment will be different. The culture of persecution is so common in the Middle East. People growing up in that, they're very aware of it. I saw a video where they beheaded a 12-year-old boy. I had never seen anything like that. And they just tossed the head over one side and the body to the other side. They had done this to a whole number of people. And a lot of, a lot of these things happen and get no coverage at all. Hello and welcome to the Charisma Connection. This is Steve Green. The Charisma Connection is a podcast edited each week with a newsmaker in mind. The topic this week is on the persecution of the church. And in an unusual start this week, I've got four or five interviews set up for you with various viewpoints about persecution. You're going to hear today from Kevin Jessup and Grace Cannot about a ministry they've developed in regards to the persecution of the church. You're also going to hear from the publisher and founder of Charisma Media, Steve Strang. We have an interview with Troy Anderson and another interview with Pastor Shadi Solomon. All of these interviews are designed to present some insight into the modern-day persecution of the church that we're hearing about, seeing on our television, and frankly, just way too much of it's going on across the world, perhaps without our knowledge and at least without our awareness. So just after this break, we'll get started with our first interview. God bless you, and don't miss this episode of Charisma Connection. I'd like to tell you about Dave Williams Ministry. Thankfully for us, Dave Williams is one of our sponsors, and I appreciate so much that they believe in our programs enough to lend their name to what we're doing here at the Charisma Podcast Network. Did you know that they're rich in content? When you visit their website at DaveWilliams.com backslash new reality, DaveWilliams.com backslash new reality, you'll find information about what do you really want in life, how to get more out of what you're doing now, setting a direction for your future, how to get there, manifesting success and wealth. I really appreciate Dave Williams' ministry and his great content, and I think you can make your own mind up and you're really going to like what you hear at DaveWilliams.com backslash new reality. Welcome back to Charisma Connection. I'm Steve Green, and I'm joined in our podcast studios today by Kevin Jessup and Grace Cannot. And I'm really excited to have you two in the studio. Welcome to Charisma. Thank you, Steve. Great to see you, and I've heard so much about your great work. 
And basically, I guess where I want to start is you went from selling hamburgers at McDonald's to involved in this great work that you two have begun together with the Global Strategic Alliance. Tell me, how does somebody get from McDonald's to GSA? <laughs> well, Steve, it's all about relationships. And over time, we've developed relationships and the Lord's opened doors for us to walk through. And so in, my, in the corporate world, I went from selling uh, hamburgers as a young boy into the travel industry. And through that, I began to, to uh, work with a company out of London called Thomas Cook. And my job there was uh, strategic alliance development and working with companies, mostly Fortune 500 companies all around the world, looking at how to utilize their core competencies in uh, alliance relationships as opposed to mergers and acquisitions. And so we look how to leverage companies' core capabilities to benefit the whole in other relationships. So that's a, a thumbnail of how it ended up becoming Global Strategic Alliance. Grace, what's your involvement in Global Strategic Alliance? What is your role what is your heart in this mission, and what are you up to? Well, basically, you know, I have a 12-year global ministry background. I've worked in global ministry for 12 years, and I've served in over 70 nations in those 12 years. And basically, the Lord connected myself with Kevin and his wife, and we just felt that we had this opportunity came up for us to host an event at the United Nations on Christian persecution. And we jumped at the opportunity, feeling that it was such a now word for our day. And through that event, we actually have launched this ministry. Um, and I, I, I'm a co-founder in GSA. So before we go to GSA and, and kind of go back into the event that really brought you here today, and we start talking about the UN event, tell me a little bit more. If you were to meet someone on the street and you're going to describe GSA, what would you say about your overall mission? What are you trying to get done? Well, several things. Actually, we have several initiatives. One of them is to bring unity to the body of Christ across denominational lines. We also stand with Israel, and we stand with the uh, marginalized people around the world, especially the persecuted church. And as we begin to learn the figures and the statistics of what's happening around the world with regards to the persecuted church, that's become one of our main initiatives now is to help those people. Anything to add, ma'am? Well, I would just say that we, you know, we both have a strong background in working ministries worldwide. And so we, we see this as an opportunity to really step up and bring some people together and even awaken the church to some of what is happening in the world and cause the church to work in a more unified stance. Do you think the church has any idea or knows what you know, the general church, say, just in America. Do you think the church knows? Personally, I think that it's, you know, they're aware of some of what's going on in the Middle East and other parts of the world, Africa, Nigeria, Kenya. And, you know, we've started to see some tastes of it here in different ways, just small ways. But I think the church is waking up that it's not business as usual. Okay. So the U.N., you put together a project. I, I know a little bit about it because it, it came from Charisma. Steve Strang spoke mm -hmm. at the UN event that you invited him to. What's the impetus of the idea? And tell me how it fleshed out. Well, <clears throat> the reality is that across America and across the world, the media has not been covering what's been happening to the persecuted church. And, and by that, let me give you a few statistics. In the past 100 years, Steve, 26 million documented cases of martyrdom for the Christian faith have occurred. That is actually more than the previous 1,900 years combined. 
Today, 165,000 Christians are murdered for their faith every year. And, and it relates to really every minute three Christians give their life for their faith. In America, we're insulated, not only because the media hasn't covered it, but because the church in America has been not permitted to see or be aware of what's happening around the world, like in Syria and Lebanon and Iraq and, and uh, Pakistan and some of these other areas where these people are literally giving their lives for the faith. And fortunately, what we are seeing in some of those areas is revival that's happening in great ways. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard. And so we're seeing great persecution, but at the same time, we're seeing numbers added to the church like never before in these areas. Let's get back to this UN event. Tell me a little bit more about who you invited and about your speaker list. Why did you invite them? And what was it like at the UN the day that you were there? Well, we started off, uh, we had Jonathan Kahn, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, who was incredible. We had Catholic priests, we had uh, Jewish rabbis, we had pastors, we had Pastor Jamie Peters from West Palm Beach, Pastors Tom and Todd Mullins from Christ Fellowship, we had people like Bridget Gabrielle, uh, Tony Perkins, General Boykin, we had so many wonderful speakers, and of course Steve Strang was there and contributed uh, an anointed uh, message, I might say. So we had some wonderful people from various backgrounds um, to speak out on the topic, and, and I think we had 30 speakers all together, and the meeting lasted five hours and 20 minutes. That's amazing. Now, how did that fit, having someone like Rabbi Khan there, how did that fit with your charge to wake up the media? Well, you know, Rabbi Khan is just a voice of our day, and a very prophetic voice of our day, and I believe that for him to be there, he was almost a front-runner you know, he was one of our first speakers, but he is a front runner as far as what's happening in the world. And he's being a very direct voice about what is currently happening in the world. And he's also being a prophetic voice. One thing that I was just taken by is that he actually gave a Hebraic blessing on the floor of the UN. And at sitting there, I just really felt in the spirit, it was tremendously significant. And probably, I would not go to say that it had never been done before, but potentially, you know, I felt in my spirit maybe it had never been done before, and I felt like it was definitely ordained by the Lord. That's good. So tell me, when this event was over, you're headed back in your car, and you're looking at each other, and you're saying, did we, did we get done what we wanted to get done? Uh, at that moment, what did you feel when you were finished? How did you feel about what you did? I believe that we initiated a global conversation about the topic, but that was just the beginning, because I believe that that event was a catalyst that led to furthering relationships and building of coalitions that we're now beginning to see. Uh, we're working further now to educate the church. We have initiatives that we're going to be rolling out. We're speaking with um, congressmen in the U.S. State Department. We're actually going back to the United Nations. We're having meetings in the upcoming weeks that are very important. We're looking at uh, any kind of legislation, anything that we can do to help the persecuted church. And as we begin to roll out some of these initiatives, even within this next month, it's going to be very exciting as we progress. One thing also is that we had quite a few of the speakers were actually what we term boots on the ground. They're people that are actually from the Middle East. Um, David Papabici, his ministry is located in Baghdad, and we had five to six different people that are actually based out of the Middle East and are actually doing things there now. And part of our heart and our initiative is to continue to help them 
because they are there where everything is happening. So if you were to say something to the Charisma family, all of our listeners out there today, what would you say to us? What, what should we do about what we've heard today? Well, number one, not only continue to pray, but prayerfully consider how you can help and follow the initiatives. And, and if I may be so, to give our website address, Please. it's uh, globalstrategicalliance.us. There you can get additional videos, information, articles, updates on our initiatives and what we're doing around the world as we work with governments and people behind the scenes. Become aware of what's happening because some of what we see happening across the world is, is a preview of what's coming to America, and we need to become aware. And I think the other thing, too, is, you know, we basically stood up and said, we're going to host an event at the U.N., and I say that in the sense of, for people to start asking themselves, they may think, oh, this is going on on the other side of the world. It doesn't have anything to do with us. But the truth is there is something you can do. And start praying and asking the Lord, what can I do with my two hands just here where I'm at to start making a difference in, the, in this situation? Kevin, would you give us that website address again? It's www.globalstrategicalliance.us. Well, I want to thank you both again for joining us in the Charisma Podcast Facility. We pray for you. We're excited about what you're up to. This is a heavy thought. The media does cover it some, but they, they treat it kind of like it's not that big a deal. And it's just amazing that Christians can be beheaded, men, women, and children. I would encourage any you know reporters or, or editors that are listening that this is probably the, the biggest underreported story in the world right now. The cross is absolutely, absolutely a sign that causes these people to enter into rage. They hate something called the cross. They're after that. And um, because of that, they become a target. Now just ahead is my interview with Steve Strang regarding his visit to the UN on this topic of persecution. But first, a word from our sponsor. I'd like to introduce you to the Okanagan Christian Counseling Academy, and without these great sponsors, we wouldn't be able to bring you these podcasts. Maybe you've always wanted to become a Christian prayer counselor, or you've wanted to work in the area of healing. Well, may I recommend to you the Okanagan Christian Counseling Academy, and you can learn healing and the ministry of counseling online at Okanagan christiancounseling.com. If you've ever wanted to pray with people and see the hand of God in people's lives, visit their website soon and begin your studying now at your own time and your own pace. Okanagan christiancounseling.com. This is Steve Strang, the CEO and founder of Charisma Media. And Steve, I understand that you're invited by the United Nations to visit and speak about the issue of persecution in the Christian church. Well, persecution is a serious issue, uh, more so with the rise of ISIS, who's been beheading Christians. But Christians are persecuted around the world in lots of different ways. Some is just societal persecution. Sometimes it's governmental persecution where maybe they won't let churches meet or things like that. But more recently, Christians have been dying. Uh, We mostly know about the 21 Coptic Christians who were killed just because they were Christians. We know about the um, students in Kenya that were singled out just because they were Christians and killed 
by Boko Haram, which is uh, equally as bad as ISIS. Doesn't get quite the the press in our country because it's it's from Africa. So a number of Christian leaders were invited to talk about the very specific problems, mainly with Islam, persecuting Christians. It's very political, as you can imagine, and they had to kind of go through sources, and they had to get someone to sponsor it, and they sponsored this afternoon-long conference at the UN itself in this chamber in the Security Council part of the UN. Uh, There were a number of Christian leaders. I was asked to represent the media and to talk about what the media is covering or not covering. The media does cover it some, but they they treat it kind of like it's not that big a deal. And it's just amazing that Christians can be beheaded, men, women, and children. In fact, I saw a a video where they beheaded a 12-year-old boy. I had never seen anything like that. And they just tossed the head over one side and the body to the other side. They had done this to a whole number of people, and a lot of a lot of these things happen and get no coverage at all. So we're trying to sound the alarm. We're trying to raise awareness. How's the American pastor treating what you saw and what you have heard about at the United Nations meeting? What did you hear about how our pastors are handling it? Well, when people hear about it and they see about it, of course they become concerned. In our day-to-day life, we're not confronted with this, and so we kind of assume that it's not happening, but it is happening. And that is the role of the media to get it out. And we are, as much as we're able to, as much as we can document, you know, what is happening and report on it with experts and so forth, we're trying to do this. In fact, the different speeches that were given, uh, we have put online uh, day after day just to kind of raise the awareness of this And uh, there are continuing efforts in the U.N. They're going to try to bring a resolution before the General Assembly. I understand that a smaller group of Christian leaders will probably be invited to actually address the General Assembly about this. And here's the thing. The United Nations was created after World War II partly for this kind of thing, to bring out the different things that were happening in the world so that the world community could say, a civilized world does not put up with this kind of thing. Back after World War II, of course, it was the Holocaust and the treatment of the Jews. You know, there were people that knew that the Holocaust was going on, but it was so horrific that a lot of people sort of refused to believe that it was true or that they could do anything to stop it. And, you know, the Jewish people, of course, say never again. And if there was an Israel back then with the military that they have, there would have been no Holocaust. They would have taken care of it one way or the other. The fact is that Christians in these places where they're being persecuted are almost always minority. They almost always have no power, no military, no one to support them. Really, all we can do is hope that there is an outcry on the part of leaders around the world so that governments get involved and governments say to a country where this is happening, this is not acceptable. Any country that is persecuting Christians or others, because there are others that are being persecuted beyond Christians. And this was brought out at the UN. The Hazizi in the Middle East is just kind of a religion of its own, and those people are being massacred. Even moderate Muslims are being killed by ISIS because they consider that they're infidels. Give us an idea of what 
the American church can do with what you've seen, what you know is going on? What can the listeners of the Charisma Connection do about what you know right now? Well, there's a lot that the average person can do, particularly with social media. You know, there are things that have actually been um, where governments have claimed certain things, and through social media, they've been exposed. We know a number of these, including our own government. Sometimes things will happen. So as there are articles, they can forward it to their entire list, not once, but again and again. These are how things go viral. That's probably the biggest thing that a, a single person can do. They can keep up with our website because we're going to report it. But there's other people that are reporting it too. In fact, you could Google persecution of Christians and see what comes up. You can also write letters to your congressman. You can uh, bring it to the attention of your pastor and have a, a Sunday where the pastor maybe speaks on it, maybe takes up a collection. There are Christian refugees that are going hungry. You know, this is not the time or the place to go into all the details, and I don't have the statistics in front of me, but there are hundreds of thousands of Christian refugees, and the Christian community must rally and raise the money and get food to them. And there are efforts, and there are people that are doing things, but so much more needs to be done, and individual Christians can say, enough is enough, we, we can't be silent anymore, we have to speak up, we have to do something. Up next is my interview with Troy Anderson, the executive editor of Charisma Magazine. Let's hear about his insights on his trip to the United Nations. So, Troy, I understand that you recently took a trip to the United Nations on behalf of Charisma Media. Tell us a little bit about your trip and why you were there. Our publisher, uh, Steve Strang, and I uh, went to New York, and we got a chance to go to the United Nations where they're holding an event to talk about the the persecution of Christians, uh, primarily in the Middle East. As you may have uh, seen in the news, the the persecutions got really bad. It's been called one of the greatest crises in the modern age, and there are literally uh, thousands and and tens of thousands of Christians who are being crucified, beheaded, and and tortured, and it's uh, really terrible what's happening. Do you believe that American pastors as a whole know enough about this issue on persecution? Where are we? And what do you think the state of awareness of persecution is in the United States? You know, I've covered this issue for a number of years, and the, the media, to a, a large extent, has ignored the extent of the persecution that's going on, especially in, in the Middle East. Of course, you know, people have seen the, the beheadings and the crucifixions and all these uh, this terrible persecution occurring. But one of the, the key elements that is left out of most of the reports is that these, these are primarily Christians who are being targeted. Uh, so, so many pastors, as I understand it, uh, may not understand the full scope of, of what's happening. On the basis of your trip to the United Nations, you returned back. What effect did it have on your faith, your personal faith? How did it move you? It was really uh, very impactful and, and heartrending to hear the, the testimonies of many of these pastors and, and people who have actually been in the Middle East. Uh, one lady experienced some very serious uh, persecution. Uh, she told some very uh, shocking stories about what had happened to her. And uh, I, I just came away from this, this whole, whole event with a, 
a deeper uh, understanding of how bad the situation is and a feeling that, you know, we need to do more. And, and as executive editor, I can uh, help inspire the church and pastors and Christians to get involved in this, and that's what, what we'd like to do. So I understand how you feel as a writer, a journalist, an editor. How do you feel as a man? What do you do different? I'd like to ask the question, so what? You heard all this. What happens in your life on a Sunday morning that's different because of it? It certainly gives you a much greater appreciation. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I'd read about Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I remember uh, my youth pastor, he told me there, there's no greater honor as a Christian than to give your life for the Lord. When I was young, you know, it was sort of, it was like an idea, didn't really you know, it wasn't concrete, but now that I'm, you know, older and I'm watching this actually transpire in the world, it makes me wonder, if this came down to it, would would I, you know, make that same choice that these people, these brave people in overseas are making right now? They're being literally asked, are you going to deny Jesus? And if they refuse, they're, they're being killed. We certainly don't have that kind of thing happen here in America, but it is happening overseas, so it's it's something that uh, everybody should should think about. Can you share something you heard? I know you did a lot of interviews that you spoke with a lot of other pastors and leaders across the world. Can you remember, does something stand out that you'd like to share with our listeners? One thing that really stands out is when Rabbi Khan gave his testimony at the United Nations, that video that we posted got tens and tens of thousands of shares. It was an incredibly powerful testimony that Rabbi Khan gave. Of course, he's the author of The Harbinger and the Mystery of the Shemitah, uh, Messianic uh, Jewish rabbi in, in uh, New Jersey. And here, here's one thing he said, uh, we hear the accounts of early Christians led into the Roman arenas to be torn apart, apart by, by wild, wild beasts. We ponder how savage and barbaric those days were. We wonder what would we have done had we been there. If we had lived in those days and could have saved the lives of the innocent, would we have saved them? The truth is we do live in those days. Those days are now. More Christians have been persecuted, brutalized, and killed in the modern age than any other. Every year, tens of thousands of Christians are dehumanized, tortured, killed. Over 100 million Christians live under the darkness of persecution. It is the modern age which holds the most savage and barbaric of days. And what we are doing as Christians are uh, being led away to be devoured. And then, you know, he, he went on to plead with the United Nations to, to take action here. And so we're all sort of waiting and hoping now that the United States government or United Nations or the global church will step in here and help our brothers and sisters overseas. Do you think that traditional media will cover these stories any better in the future? Are we seeing what we're going to see? Is it going to get any better? Since uh, we've written some of these stories, I noticed there was a columnist in the USA Today uh, newspaper that did write about this and wrote about that, you know, these are primarily Christians that are being uh, crucified and, and beheaded and martyred. And uh, I have said, I know it's a, sort of a, a sporadic amount of more coverage in newspapers and mainstream media. So the word is sort of percolated out there slowly. And I would encourage any, you know, reporters or, or editors that are listening that this is probably the, the biggest underreported story in the world right now. And uh, I would highly encourage you to, to cover this. Do you have any thoughts that you'd like to add to what you've already told us about this horrible issue and what it's doing to Christianity across the world, particularly in the Middle East? Do you have anything you'd like to suggest to our listeners and pastors who are listening? I think one thing I'd like to say is that it's easy to watch the news and just sort of be desensitized by just the, the sheer 
uh, overwhelming nature of all the things that were happening in the world. But in this one particular thing, these are actual human beings, women, men, children, girls, and boys that are being killed for their faith in Jesus. These are our brothers and sisters. God is not going to hold us blameless if we just look the other way. This is something that's very important, and we need to do what we can and get involved because one day we're going to stand before God, and he's going to ask, what did you do to help them? And what are we going to say? You know, we heard on the news and I moved on to another topic. But let's do what God calls us to do and, and do what we can to help our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. We'll conclude this podcast interview set with Pastor Shaddy Solomon. He's a good friend of mine and a great friend of Charisma Media. He's got some insight, having been raised in Egypt, about the state of persecution in the church. Stay tuned just after this message for Pastor Shaddy. I want to talk to you on behalf of a great client to support this podcast and many of our other podcasts, and I so appreciate Peter Aiello, who has a great book called Hidden Treasure, and he's willing to send that book out to you today, totally free, hiddentreasure.website. And I recommend you do that, not just because they're a sponsor, but because they answer some great questions, that he addresses unconditional trust in Christ and how it's missing in the practices of many ministries. Many times it doesn't even go beyond our own mental imagery. The Bible tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and not to lean on our own understanding. And that's obviously from Proverbs 3, 5. And Isaiah 55, 8, 9 tells us that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We've got to get beyond our own thoughts when we unconditionally trust in God. Would you go visit that website now, hiddentreasure.website. And my thanks go out to Peter Aiello and his great book, Hidden Treasure. Now back to the program. So, Pastor, tell me, I know your background. Uh, you grew up in Egypt. Yes, Tell sir. us about that. Well, uh, born and raised in Egypt, born in, in the southern part of Egypt, which is a lot of trouble area right now, which is Ilmenia and Malawi and Abu Kakas, all this area, which is a lot of trouble right now. This is where I was born. My father was evangelical pastor in the region there. He planted the church there. So him and my grandfather, my mom's side, uh, my mom's dad, he was the local that my dad came and planted the church with back in 19. 19- 64, 65, and I was born in 69, and so I was born into church planning. That's how it goes. Then um, in 89, I left uh, the south. I went to, we moved to Cairo, to capital, and um, sorry, 79, moved to Cairo. Then 89, I came to the United States on uh, soccer scholarship, so that's how I landed here, but of course, my family's still in Egypt. I'm still very connected and aware of what's going on around there. So what do you currently know about persecution as it relates to the Middle East, and what do you feel about it today as you read about it, and you're here in the United States? It's different here. You don't think about persecution every day when you walk into your pulpit. How would you feel if you walked into the pulpit in the Middle East? Well, it's funny you're saying that because it is a culture. Uh, Persecution is a culture. As you know, Egypt majority, about 90% are Muslims, and the 10%, 10 to 12% are the minority, which is the Christians. 
majority of the minority, majority of the Christians are Coptic Orthodox. And that's the uh, home church in, in Egypt, you know, it, are the Coptic Orthodox Church. Then also, uh, then the second minority will be the Catholic. So the evangelical in Egypt are minority of the minority. <laughs> so uh, it's a very small segment comparing to all the Christian in Egypt. However, that become a culture that people are aware of. Simple is this. Um, growing up in the Middle East, in especially in Egypt, in your ID says religion, and you are identified by your religion. So it says Muslim or Christian because the treatment will be different. So the culture of persecution is so common in the Middle East. People growing up in that, they're very aware of it. For instance, here, your biggest service is a Sunday morning. Uh, usually, there is a Sunday morning service in, in Egypt and in all the churches, but there will be a very small segment of people that can um, go to church on Sunday morning simply because unless they own their own business or in a Christian company or a Christian atmosphere or they control their own schedule, they're not going to be off on Sunday morning. Friday is the prayer day for the Muslims, and that's when everybody's off. So the culture of persecution is part of the region, and people are used to it. Now, the persecution, it goes through seasons, and definitely we are in a very escalated season because of many reasons. But I'd say the least, uh, Middle East Christians are very aware and accustomed to, and it's built in their culture, that they are persecuted. So we're reading about and watching on television Coptic Christians being beheaded. Mm -hmm. So what is it about Coptic Christians that ISIS is after? It's not just Coptic Christian. It's from your first name you're identified as Christian or Muslim. Uh, from your behavior, from the way you act, you, you're known as Christian or Muslim. And very easy for them to identify that. And once they identify this, you become a target, not just because you're Christian, but you are the enemy of God. You're not only that the enemy of God, you are the planted enemy within the region. They believe this region is Islamic nations. Egypt should be Islamic Republic, and it should be a country that's led by Sharia law. Of course, this is not the case, never was the case in Egypt. Egypt always been a republic of, you know, just common people. Sharia law affects the law, but is not the law. It's The law is based on it, but it's not the only law. So they see you as the, the infidel that occupying the land that they should be full blast under their control, which is not. So that's one area, of course. As Christian and people of the cross, that's what they call them, people of the cross. And because you are people of the cross, the cross is absolutely, absolutely a sign that causes these people to enter into rage. They hate something called the cross. They're after that. And um, because of that, they become a target. So you're a pastor in the United States. You've planted a church. You're five years into your church. You're growing. What do you say to American pastors? What do you say to churchgoers about persecution? From your pulpit, how do you address persecution? Well, as Christian, we must understand one thing. Of course, I'm, I'm watching, uh, I love and enjoy Sunday evening, one of my, um, these few weeks, a relaxing thing. I watch AD. I don't know if, if you've been watching AD, you know, 
um, the Bible continue. And it, as you watch AD, you see something. It, it's, it was so common and was so from the birthing of the church. If there's true Holy Spirit, if there's true day of Pentecost, if there's true book of Acts, persecution was the part and actually the culture of the church from the beginning. So it's not persecution is escalating just now. Persecution marked the church from day one. And Jesus says this, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer that I have overcome the world. And then Paul write about it and says, you are stranger and alien to this world. So don't be part of the world. The problem is we get too comfortable as Christian to the point that Christianity or our spiritual belief is not who we are. It's something nice to have. And that's the problem in American church. It's not something people are willing to die for. It's not the form of Christianity that we see in the book of Acts that because what you believe and what you stand for. See, none of the disciples died because of what they believed or what they said. None of the disciples died because of the teaching of Jesus. None of them were persecuted. Jesus was not crucified because of his teaching. It was a lot more than that. The reason the apostles were persecuted and all of them got killed, especially the disciples, except one, John, the only one that died natural death, and he died in isolation in an island of middle of nowhere. The reason they died, not because of what they taught, is because what they said they saw. Peter died not because of what he was teaching. He died because he said, I saw him. He is risen from the dead. So really, nobody here in the West is persecuted or going to go to prison because they showed up to the service Sunday morning. No Sunday service here in America is going to be disrupted by people throwing fireballs in the sanctuary while you're worshiping or people going to throw rocks and destroy all the glass windows while you're praising God. It's not, you know, most likely that's not going to happen here in the West. So the culture of persecution is absent in the West. And it seemed to be that, that the culture of persecution worked like a refining fire that identify people who are truly believers and who are truly willing to die for what they believe because Jesus says they persecuted me and they killed me. So why would they not come after you? But be of good cheer. I have done a lot more than this world and this world we're passing through. The whole idea of us passing through is not part of what, or the price of discipleship, if I would. The price of discipleship is not established in the Western culture. So the smallest persecution will cause people to leave. So if we saw beheadings down at Daytona Beach, do you think that that would change your attendance at church on a Sunday morning? Um, <laughs> would it change the attendance on Sunday morning? Uh, really? Thought, uh, it, it, would this it, this would, was on our TV set. We're watching it now on some beach in somewhere. You know what changed the attendance of Sunday morning in America? Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Football games will change attendance. Weather will change attendance. Um, Fourth of July will change attendance. Mother's Day will change attendance. Father's Day will change attendance. Everything and almost anything will become before God 
in a Western culture. It's not gonna, it doesn't take beheading for people to affect their attendance to church. It's embedded in the culture, idolatry, and it's embedded in the Western culture as normal. So to to forsaking the assembly or forsaking people commitment to honor God in the Sabbath or Sunday, it's part of you know, if everything if everything's perfect, they're not gonna go to church. They have to be bored and I'm talking about average Western. They got to be bored and nothing else to do. So guess what we do on Sunday morning? I guess we go to church. So if the kids did not say, hey, we're not going to go to church today, maybe they're going to stay home. So it's not going to take beheading for people not to go to church. Right now, national average, only 12% of America go to church in any given Sunday. Really good point. We've got time for one more question. What do you see coming? The United Nations had this meeting. We, we spoke a lot about persecution of the church in the Middle East. They gave instructions to pastors to go home and pray and, and to be concerned about this and pass on the message. What would you say to your parishioners or, or to these listeners on the Charisma podcast here today? What would you say to everyone about what's coming? What do you see in the next one to three years? If persecution scares you, then maybe you need to be discipled in the Word. And if persecution is a concern that is going to take you out of your comfort zone to the point that you're rethinking your belief, I think what you believe is not really your belief system. It's a great knowledge that you're aware of, but it's not a belief system. Because what I experience, um, I, I want to put it this way, the word witness that it was mentioned in the scripture. In the Old Testament, witness what somebody will be a witness to what's going on if they heard something. So if me and you are talking right now and some third party heard what we said, they could be a witness. The definition that changed in the gospel became who saw, witnessed the one that heard and saw it. So the disciples were witnessing what Jesus was doing, miracles and everything. But then in Acts 2, the word witness came in a whole different definition. It was not the one that heard, and it's not the one that saw and heard. It became a new word. He says, you wait in Jerusalem until you experience the power, until you receive the Holy Spirit. Then you become my witness in your region and everywhere in the earth. And the word witness here became you're willing to be a martyr. You're willing to die in behalf of of what you experience. So sometimes the one that heard something, if the persecution, you know, heat up, says, maybe, you know what? I have a hearing aid problem. I, I, maybe I have not heard clearly. So no, maybe I didn't. And the one that heard and saw, like Peter, when the persecution heated up around the cross, he said, I never seen the guy. I was, I, I, I must have been delusional about it. I, you know, I'm not sure. And the one that heard and saw denied him. But after they experienced the Holy Spirit, once you experience something, nobody could take it away from you. You'll be willing to die for it. So my question is to our listener and everybody that's concerned about persecution, the truth is, have you experienced the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Not I just, I just added a fire insurance to my eternity. I accepted Jesus. So they just added a fire insurance eternity. Yeah, that's not the case. Are you under his lordship? 
and completely, completely experience his power. If you have not experienced his power and have not had this as a personal experience, then any persecution will scare you away. So you've heard several powerful interviews with Kevin and Grace and Steve Strang, Troy Anderson, and Shadi Solomon. Where do you sit today on the persecution of the church? How do you feel about it? Do these interviews compel you to pray, to do something, to speak with your pastor, to study more? It's very difficult to listen to this topic without doing something about it. Join us next week for another Charisma Connection. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.